Welcome to the podcast, Blazing Trails and Breaking Norms, African-American Women's Legacy in the Fire Service, presented by the African-American Firefighter Museum in Los Angeles, California. I'm your host, Karen Slider, a retired Los Angeles City Fire Department firefighter paramedic. Join us for candid interviews with outstanding Black women shaping the fire service legacy. Please note that the opinions of our guests are their own and do not reflect those of the African American Firefighting Museum. Listener discretion is advised as explicit language may be used. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Delisa Davies, a true trailblazer. She holds the distinction of being the first African-American female firefighter to complete probation and become a full-time firefighter with the Los Angeles City Fire Department. Delisa will be sharing her incredible journey with us, joining us via telephone. Miss Delisa Davies. Delisa Davies, are you there? Yes, I am. Are you doing? I'm doing well, and what about you? A little nervous, but I'm getting over it. What are you nervous about? Being heard. (laughs) Yeah, and wanting to hear what we have to say. I want you to feel confident, and I want you to feel free to speak your mind and your heart. Because the whole reason we're doing this podcast is to educate and to help the next generation coming. Yes. So why don't we start off by getting a little background. Tell us about yourself before you became a firefighter. There was nothing for us to do or anything. So coming here to California, there were there was sports, there was mechanics, there was all kinds of things that we can get into. And I started off my educational background preparing um, a good patient teacher. And that was okay, but I wanted more, I started leaning more towards coaching. So I changed it to recreation and then eventually to kinesiology because I wanted to know more about the body. I worked for Parks and Rec for Baldwin. Pop 13 pretty much killed that program. So I went to the military. Um, so what was it like in the military? It was actually pretty cool. The only drawback was my clearance level. I came in as an E4 and I had a top secret natal clearance. My movements were restricted because I had to be available just in case something top secret or above came through. But it was okay because I was able to travel all over Germany and see a lot of different things. It gave me a real eye opener on how to think strategically taking in logistics, things like that. And then it also gave me great discipline that actually helped me deal with some of the activities in the fire department. Really, can you give us an example of how that background helped you in the fire department? Most of the time, after I promoted and I was in charge of units, I read everything like a military op. It was easier for me to put it in that format because I knew that all the angles that I wanted to take on, the thought processes, plans, 
the strategy, the tactics, all that was part of my makeup. So I felt more comfortable doing it that way. It also helped me with dealing with some of the quote unquote meatheads on the job. And I was able to handle that as well. So it, I'm glad it, because if they had called me before the military discipline, I don't think they would have liked it. <laughs> it's interesting that the military prepared you for the job as a firefighter, but when did you transition to becoming a firefighter? I hey, came home from the military and transitioning from that type of career to something in the private sector was a little bit off for me. I had started to prepare to go into the FBI. They had been courting me my last year in the service because of my clearance level. And they had promised me I would start out as a GS9. So a GS9, I was wow. like, well, but the thing about it was during the last phase of testing, my grandmother became ill and she needed someone to take care of her. And family comes first. So I let that FBI thought go. They took care of my mom my grandmother rather, and then the opportunity for the fire department came up and that's how I got involved in that. What did it mean to you to become a firefighter with all that under your belt, facing those same obstacles in the military you faced in the paramilitary organization as the fire department? I keep reminding them, they say it's semi-military and I have to tell them that it's really a cheap imitation of semi-military because they really have no concept of what discipline, military discipline entails. But for me, it was stability because I was a single parent. I needed a job where I was going to be able to take care of me and my daughter. The schedule was the main thing that enticed me. And it was because they said 10 to 12 days a month. I really didn't care what the salary was in the days. It was the days of work that I was really concerned about. And it actually worked out for me over the year. Well, it did. Would you recommend this job to young women coming on today, growing up today? I would. Mainly because the fire department still is not reflecting the demographics of the city. And especially in terms of the black females, I was on for 31 years and we only had eight black female firefighters on the job. And now that I'm retired, there's only six and three of them I recruited wow. to the department. So I'm confused as why black females are not being brought on the department. It just doesn't make any sense. And I brought many to the door. Do you From think- the military building change, other departments, and they just cannot get hired. Do you think there's still that same old stereotype going around that women are lowering the standards and they can't do the job? They can't use that argument anymore. But as far as you look at the racial makeup of women on the job right now, and it doesn't include that many minorities, and that where my issue is. I don't know if me as a Black female scared the hell out of them or what, but we are strong, we are self-sufficient, we can handle whatever you give us to do. It's just give us a chance. 
just give us a chance and we can prove to you that we are viable candidates for the job. Lowering the standard? No. That, that's a weak excuse. They used it, they used it prior, uh, to women coming on when they were talking about black men coming on the job. And that issue is still being used to this day. And I don't understand. Standards are not being lowered at all. What kind of assignments did you hold in the fire department? What were your expertise? My expertise? As a firefighter, I was tasked by the fire chief at the time to do something about recruitment. And he wanted more women in, more minorities and all that. And the first thing I, I do when I come into a situation is I take a look around and find out what's there, what's working, what's not. And then I come up with a plan and I always make a report. They're usually not used to that, but that's how the military does. So I always make an analysis and then I present that. And what I found was there was nothing to assist minorities and women to get on the job. So we had to build a plan and a program, mainly with the physical abilities, finding a test that was viable for us, developing a mentoring program, and helping them prepare for their oral interviews. It's different with minorities and women because we didn't have family members on the job that can coach you in and do all that. So we had to start from the bottom up and we built those programs to address those. And it was successful enough that those programs are still there today. So if it was something that was needed. Um, once I promoted, it was basically the same thing. Every unit that I went to, I analyzed everything, came up with a game plan and I handled that. And being assigned to the Bureau, which is confusing because the Bureau is where they make the rules for safety for us in the field and for the constituents, right? But the Bureau is not highly looked at. And so to find out that they had antiquated equipment, they were still doing things with paper and pencil, technology stuck really bad. And so it was like, okay, we had to start from the ground up. Training and technology was the main thing that we had to work on. And that's where I started. And once we started getting that in place, we were able to do a lot of good things. In the legal unit, we just by increasing our technology, we were able to reach out to other departments, other agencies, and work with them because we were on the same wavelength technology-wise. And also just being able to work with them as a, a small task force to get things done. We increased our revenue there from $3,000 a year to, uh, in the three years, legal to $3.9 million. So it was something that just needed to be rebuilt. And that's where I came in and helped out with that. When I was assigned to the environmental unit, it was basically the same thing where you start off with analyzing everything, you're finding out technology is part of the problem, training is part of the problem. So you go in increments, you get everybody trained up, you get them their technology. We were the first unit to have mobile inspectors where they could do whatever they needed to do. 
write notices, print them out, get them signed, everything in the field, and then upload the information later. It wasn't paper and pencil anymore. We actually got all of our files digitized. We made things and the ability to access things a lot easier. And we increased the revenue there from $4 million to 10 wow. just by updating the system and being able to reach out. So it was, I felt good because it increased the, the self-esteem of the units. You, you, they actually walked around proud because we were actually doing positive things. That's how I looked at it. And we were a team. I beg to differ. I, your humility is to be applauded. But I was there when some of the things that you were talking about were being implemented. And if you didn't have the foresight to at least analyze it with the tools that you brought from the military, none of those things would have gotten done. They would have just been going through the motions like they always have. I'm proud of you being in those positions and bringing the department up to par. But I want to know more about you, Delisa, as a person. What was the most challenging thing for you on the fire department personally? The main thing was just being heard. I don't know what it was. If I had input, they didn't want to hear it. If I had information, they didn't want to see it. And so it was like I had to find different ways to communicate. And I had mentioned it before, but I would just put a mustache on it because they didn't want to hear or see me. So I would have a male put in that position. And they had no problems with getting our plan or our strategy and putting that in place. I'll tell you how bad it was. I never got a shield and I never got a helmet. As wow. A captain. Wow. And I for it and they just denied it. They just weren't going to do it. That's how it was. But I was fine because as long as I had my team together and they understood what we were there to do, then me, my team, they would go to their different positions and I'd just be over there leaning up against the club with my LAFD baseball cap on. I didn't care that they didn't like me. Because I got all the information. We went back and we came back with one hell of a report. And I didn't have to ask anybody. Because unlike, unlike the men, your ego wasn't all tied up in the job. Nope. They wouldn't get it done. And like, I keep telling them, I kept reminding them I'm military, so you give me an assignment, that is going to be completed no matter what. No matter what. Would you do it all over again? Would you oh, become would. a firefighter all over again? I would. I think I would try to, I would come in a little younger, but I think that coming in when I did, I was, it was time for me to be introduced to the fire department and put my fingerprint on it because I believe in karma. And I think that the FBI was going to be a good choice for me, but my direction was, my karma was the fire department. And I think that the fire department is in a better place because some of the things that we instituted and we provided as guidance on how to do things the right way or not the right way, or an efficient and effective way. Getting back to when you came on, were you welcomed during the department? Well, oh, no, that was funny. Yeah, when I got there, they were wearing these T-shirts that had a silhouette of a female on there with a, uh, a cross. It was crossed out, and so I tried to get one, and they were looking at me like... Oh, like no women? 
Yeah. And so I was like, where can I get one? Well, that's cool. Because you don't want women and here I am. So I, they were right. just, hey, I thought, but no, they weren't having it. But what I found out was that the older firefighters were more receptive of women coming on than the younger group. Younger men thought that we were in competition, and it was like, no, dude, I got a family just like you, mm-hmm. and I'm here. Okay. But there were some that voiced their taste of women on the job, and I just politely told them, they'll get over it, because they ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Did you so ever have any know. altercations with the men that you worked with? Yeah, there was a couple. They called that Army Survival Training. Really? Can you tell and us a story? I was, it was during probation, and there was this one firefighter. I found out that he likes hitting women. And that day he was working at my station, and we were doing hose change. And I oh, hey, jumped up in, oh, up in the hose bed to help, and he told me to get the hell away from him. I mean, he slapped me in the chest, and I almost fell out of the off the rig wow. for my foot that whole. And so I was just dangling. When I regained my composure, I went in the office and I told them I took my badge off and I told the captain that there no inhale that I was gonna take no excuse the expression bullshit off of anybody and he could have my badge right then. And he said, time out. He asked me, Don't you have a kid? And I was like, Yes sir. He says, don't you need this job? And I said, yes, sir. He said, go out there and handle your business. I was like, thank you, sir. He gave me my badge. I went out there. I snatched that son of a bitch in the collar, and I whooped his ass from the doors to the parking gate and then back. And then next thing you know, his company came, and his and my captain came out and told him he can't work there no more, not while I was on duty. Amen. And they called me Rocky for a while, and then that night, but it was like, no, you touch me, we go together. Go yeah, I know that very well. It brought back memories, and that was my thought process. But I do apologize for the vulgar language. It's okay. I, sometimes you got to meet people on their own terms, and I think he needed to know that every woman ain't going to take a licking and keep on walking away. Oh, no. And it was funny because they found out I rang doorbells. Because I, if I'm not mistaken, I came to your station and rang the doorbell because there yes, was somebody. because someone was harassing me. You're right. You and I wanted to let him know. It's, no, you know what? Touch me because I do hit back. There was another female. I rang his, their doorbell and had to let them know who I was. Because I wasn't, no, that behavior was not going to be tolerated. Not by me. That was one of the rules my dad used to tell us all the time. If you see something wrong, you don't say anything, you're part of the problem. He expected us to do something about it. And I was trying to be faithful to my dad. I was going to do something. You did. You did. You made a difference in my coming on. You made it easier for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Delisa, is there anything else you want to talk about as far as the job goes, as far as kids coming up today, what they need to do to prepare themselves for this career? I'm still out there trying to mentor and assist with guiding candidates, but we all come in with different talents. And don't think that just because you don't have fire training that you're not going to be good. You have other talents 
that will enhance the qualities of the department. And you can't just think it has to be fire-related because it, it doesn't have to be. It's your thought process. It's how you're, you think. It's your empathy towards your constituents. There's a place but, for everybody. Yeah, it's a place for everybody. Heaven doesn't pay you. It's the constituents that pay us. And we forget that. We're there for them. That was the one thing that I was so proud of was that when we came to L.A., it was welcoming to us as a family of eight kids and two adults. And it provided us with a lot of opportunities. But it also gave me a chance to represent the Davies family as a member of the party park. Because I have family all over Los Angeles. And they were proud of me. Where we, the first station that I went to, it used to be an abandoned gas station. And that's where we used to park our station wagon. And then we would walk down to church. My aunt lived two blocks away and her sons two blocks from her. So I grew up in the area. And when I was stationed in the 46th, when a lot of the neighborhoods, especially the ones from church, when they found out I was on the fire department, they were so excited for me. And they were starting to call. Hey, Double D, what's going on? I called this one in. And I was like, thanks. That kind of thing. They were very supportive. What church did, What church was this around what area? It was on, believe it or not, Burnham and Hoover. It was called the Upper Room Church of God. And it's no longer there as well as the gas station. because 46 took over that whole little area right there. Oh, okay. But, but oh, yeah, I remember those So days. where the fire station is now? Yeah, where the fire station is now. That's where we used to park. So, so your family grew up all over L.A. How come you didn't stay in L.A.? Once I had my daughter, I had to go where I could afford a mortgage and a sitter. And a, I couldn't do it in L.A., so I had to where I could afford. And I just had to make allowances. When my daughter started going to school, she basically lived with the sitter and I would come and visit her. On my days off, I would stay and help the sitter until she got out of school. Then we would homework and then I'll get her ready for bed and then I would go home. But some of the other days, I would do fire prevention for the station. I would do something because I wanted to be a mom on her time. And she got her time. I was not going to take that away from her because the schedule took enough time away. but. When she became older, then I was more visible in her life. When she was out of school, I was out of work. I was, I'd do trades, vacations, I would do whatever I needed to do to give her quality. Okay, Delisa, I think that just about wraps up our time right now. I just want to thank you for the interview and thank you for letting us know that it's not easy being a firefighter. And sometimes you might have to even whoop some ass but <laughs> or beat somebody up, but we thank you for your expertise and for making the fire department a better place. I try. All right. In closing, is there anything you want to add? Oh, no. I just hope that everyone enjoys the podcast and we hope to introduce you to other pioneer women in the fire service in the future. Thank you. I look forward to it. All right. Bye, everyone.
from the African-American Firefighters Museum. This is Karen Slider and Delisa Davies, the first African-American female firefighter to complete probation for L.A. City Fire Department. Thank you, Delisa. Thank you. Bye-bye. I hope you've been inspired by our conversation with Delisa. In the next episode, she will turn the tables and interview me, Karen Slider, the second African-American female firefighter with the City of Los Angeles Fire Department. Remember to visit the African-American Firefighter Museum at 1401 Central Avenue in Los Angeles. Situated at the corner of 14th and Central, just across the street from the Coca-Cola bottling plant, the museum warmly welcomes visitors every Sunday from 1 to 4 p.m. For more information, you can reach us at 213-744-1730. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of our journey celebrating African-American women in the fire service. Stay tuned for more remarkable stories and experiences.